You are now listening to Someone Needs to Hear It. Hi friends, welcome to episode 6 of Someone Needs to Hear It, Rewriting Our Narratives. Today starts a three-part series called Rewriting Immigration. Over the next few weeks, you're going to hear three different perspectives from three incredible women sharing their hearts, their stories, their experiences with immigration. Per usual, before we get started, I just want to thank everyone for your continued support. And if you haven't already, if you could like, subscribe, favorite, review on your favorite podcast app, and if you could also follow me on Instagram at someone needs to hear it, I would greatly appreciate it. So my first guest is Michelle McEwen, and she's actually the reason that this three-part series is happening, because I essentially saw her crying on Instagram regarding immigration, and we're going to get to that story in a bit. But she's the daughter of two Colombian immigrants, and she's going to share that perspective with us today. She's a former childhood early intervention specialist turned nanny, and (laughs) over the last week or so, she actually picked up and went to our border to help the kids in a refugee camp. So, you know what? I'm just going to let her tell you the story. Here she is, Michelle McEwen. Hey, Michelle. Hey, Jen. Thank you so much for being here and telling your story. And I feel like I need to tell everyone why I'm interviewing you first for this immigration thing. So, I was clicking through Instagram stories like I always do, and I stopped because you were crying, and you were at the gym, and you had posted something about, I think it was the news, right? Do you mm-hmm. want to tell people, tell people that story, and we'll kind of go from there? Well, I was on the Stairmaster trying to <laughs> build a booty, no, and um, the news is always on, and so I have to inevitably watch it. I never watch the news, but Same. they were... They were showing um, that they had found another child that had died at the concentration camps. And I just kind of lost it, you know, thinking about kids dying in concentration camps because white men just want to, I don't know, entrap them and not care about them. They want to be white men. Yeah. Yeah. And I just am very close to that demographic, that population, because I used to work in early intervention here in Lynn. Well, we're in Salem, but in Lynn. Close enough. (laughs) And throughout Salem as well, the whole North Shore. And it's the North Shore actually does have a very large immigration population, and most of them are from Guatemala, Central America, Honduras. So it's all these same people, and... I've worked with them, I've become close with them, I've gone into their homes, I've built relationships with them, and so I know who they are, and I just can't even imagine one of my kids on my caseload dying like that. Right, and I like that you use the word concentration camp because people don't want to use it right now, and they don't want to talk about the Holocaust, they don't want to talk about these things, but I feel like if we don't have that historical perspective then we see, I guess, what people are doing. They're just kind of ignoring it. They're like, well, it probably isn't that. It couldn't be that. Yeah. Um, And you just went to the border recently too, right? Well, we can talk about that Mm -hmm. later, but Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe we'll talk about that later. Um, But you are also the daughter of two immigrants, correct? Yes, yes. I'm first-generation American. Both my parents are from Colombia, South America. Um, I'm super proud, but I mean, I was fortunate enough to be born here, so I am a natural-born citizen. But I'm no different than anyone else who was born somewhere else and then came over after. Right, yeah, we were just talking about that. Like, I'm, like, fourth generation, but my all of my family members came here 
because of civil unrest, religious unrest, whatever it was, mm-hmm. it was still the same. Yeah. And I think people forget that unless you were literally born as an indigenous person on this land, you are an immigrant. Right. And the reason my dad even came over here, my family, was because the situation in Colombia was so bad. Like, I think people here in America, um, they see what life is like here and that's all they think. And that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the world is humongous and other countries are run very differently. And the rules there are different. The laws there are different. There isn't as much order. There's more poverty. You know, they just haven't figured it out like we may have figured it out. But it turns countries into scary places, you know, and mm-hmm. you don't want to raise families there. So my dad came over in hopes of, you know, being safer, um, not getting killed, not getting into uh, the drug world and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And giving his kids a shot. Absolutely. Right. So when we talk about these kids at the border... I think that's where, like, you, I get the most upset, where it's like, people don't want to leave their homes. Absolutely. Even if it is, you know, tragic, even if it is violence, because it's your home. No one wants that. So exactly. if people are risking their lives to come here with their kids, I think people need to try to look at that perspective of they're trying to make sure that their kids can have something that they didn't. My mom was the youngest of 15 Oh my goodness, I, my grandfather, is, one of my grandfathers is the youngest of 11, so that's like, yeah. ooh. And ooh. so, she left, her. she left her entire family. Do you think she wanted to do that? Absolutely not. Like, it broke her, it broke her heart, her spirit, but she didn't feel safe there, and she wanted to have a family here, and it's, yeah, people just aren't aware. I think we all have to open our eyes a little more at how other countries are run and see that, like, they're also just human, you know? They just ended up being born somewhere else. And so you wanted to talk a little bit about the American dream? Yeah, yeah, about that privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, the whole world does hear things about what America's like. It's beautiful. It's amazing. There's money here. There's order. There's cool school systems. You can make a career, something of yourself, like, all these opportunities. And so... We get wrapped up in that for sure. We dream, we hope, we want to be a part of that. And, you know, if there's any way of making it into that, then they want to do it. But unfortunately, there's also another side to the American dream where it's not as dreamy as you would think. Right. And that's, you know, you know, I've done other interviews for this. That's what I think is so interesting. So people come here and they have this perspective. As a white cis person in this country... I had that perspective. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in the last couple of years, I've tried to break down that privilege to figure out, holy shit, I've even been taught that lie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's something that I think everybody is waking up to in this country, no matter who you are, what you are, how you identify, right? People are realizing there is this constitution, it's about freedom and it is happiness, and that is a possibility, but we are not fighting together for that. Exactly. Thing. And it's as if, people from other places aren't deserving of that American dream. Like, only the white people who look like Americans are able to get ahead, have these opportunities given to them because, you know, they've become, it's like this racist kind of thing. Like, oh, you're from somewhere else. You're not going to be a part of that. Like, Right. We're not going to give you this job. We're not going to give you, we're not going to look at your resume. We're not going to, oh, you don't speak English perfectly? Like, no. Like, and it's just like door after door after door. Becomes that stereotype. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think another thing that I've learned just as a white cis person is that I want to say I'm not racist and other people are going to hear this and be like, I'm not racist, I'm not that person. But there's so much unconscious systematic racism that especially white people, I think, need to understand and start digging into. Things that I realized that were my privilege that I'm growing into and I'm like, no, this law is fine, this thing is fine. And I'm like, yeah, it's fine because it's benefiting me. Mm -hmm. But maybe that law doesn't benefit your family or someone else's family. And even, like, bigger than everything, I think now, I mean, you and I are part of basically the middle class, you know? Mm-hmm. What do we do? We work ourselves to death. Like, yep. all we do is work, 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 work. And, you know, at least in Colombia, there's um, a comedy skit called The American Dream. But in mm-hmm. Spanish, it translates to um, the, like, basically sleepiness, the sleepiness of the American Dream. Ooh. El sueño americano. So it's like, what is the American dream? It's the sleepiness you get at like 5 p.m. when you're sitting in the car in rush hour for seven hours after working for like 10 hours. And it's just like, that's your dreaminess. Your American dreaminess is sitting in rush hour traffic after you just worked and you're tired and you're exhausted and you're not having fun and this is not the dream. That just blew my mind open. Mm -hmm. Holy shit of dreamy, dream, Mm -hmm. not actual, this, this goal, right? Oh man, can you find that? <laughs> yeah, can you find it's that when you're I know they make it funny, but it's really the truth. I mean, it's the satire of us, right. Trying to acknowledge, but also like, ah, don't take that too seriously. Or you're gonna start. People crying. get here and they're like, oh, this is what it's like. <laughs> okay, I'm exhausted and I'm not getting anywhere, and it's just hard for them, for people, even the ones who do make it here. Yeah, it's it's hard. So that concept of the American dream, I want to ask that this in two parts. So. Has your dad ever talked about it? Did he... What was his version of the American dream before he got here? For sure. So my dad... I mean, my story is very me. It's very different from everyone else. I have my own perspective. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking for any everyone or anyone else. Of course. But um, my dad is extremely intelligent and ambitious. You know, he came here, guns a-blazing, went straight to university, taught himself English in a second, yep. got his um, bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering, electrical engineering, like, Damn. got a position at Hewlett-Packard. I don't, like, he's just very, nothing stops him kind he's of thing. He's driven. And he, physically, he does not look super Latino. So He's I think, more white passing? Yes, yes. Okay. Like, yep probably of Spain descent or something like that, just, yeah. like, not your typical Latino. So I think that definitely benefited him in a lot. But mm-hmm. um, when he got here, he got his job. Wait, what was the question? <laughs> his version of the American dream. Right, right. No, I love it. I love yes, the yes, yes. conscious. <laughs> the American dream. So he wanted to get his big shot position at a company and uh, work with medical um, equipment. And stuff like that, which is really cool. That was his dream. He wanted to buy a house. He wanted his BMWs. He's a big car guy. Yeah. He came from money in Colombia, so I think he had that privilege kind of in his head. He didn't really come from the 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 poverty kind of side of life. My mom did. Okay. But um that was his dream and he did it. He had his kids and he had his life here. He was situated. We lived in a really nice town, Billerica. It was pretty conservative, colonial mm-hmm. kind of place. And that was that. He was able to make it happen. So he saw almost the the positive of capitalism, of what you could do if you worked hard. Totally. Yeah. I have a couple of my great grandparents had that thought of like, I'm doing okay over here, but what else can mm-hmm. I do? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then you, so you said your mom grew up in poverty. Mm -hmm. So what was her view? Were they married before they came here? No, they met there, but he left first. And while he was at school, my mom stayed in Columbia. Mm -hmm. And then when he graduated, he sent her over. Mm -hmm. And they got married here. It's a heartwarming story. I love that. So what was, what was her view like? Did she always want to come here? Did she want to stay? No. So <laughs> she, I mean, like I said, her huge ass family. Sorry, my language. Oh, that's okay. Um, we, I do the little explicit thing because you know, you know. Okay, good. <laughs> and she was sad, but I mean, she's the youngest of 15. She was the baby of the house and that's kind of how she acted. And what he, my dad said goes, like it's a very patriarchal system in Colombia, mm-hmm. like she didn't really have a say. She didn't have her voice. She hadn't really discovered, like, who she was as a person, so she kind of just went along with it. But she did grow up in poverty. Like, you know, sometimes they didn't have enough to eat. 15 kids, like... I can only imagine. <laughs> you know, and it's very, like, religious-based, you know? No birth control. No, yep. like, have faith in God that he will give you what you need. This and, is your path? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So she didn't want to leave. She also has kind of a learning disability. She wasn't able to really learn English as easily as my father. She struggled a lot with that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, luckily my dad made good enough money where she didn't have to work. But I also think it was a control thing that my dad preferred she not work. Mm -hmm. So as it would that be more cultural? Mm -hmm, Okay. mm -hmm. So she was a homemaker and. She never really loved the U.S. She didn't really find the joy in it. And that's why today she's back in Colombia, finally. (laughs) She lives there now. But that's where she, that's where Mm -hmm. her heart is, Mm -hmm. it sounds like. Totally. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially, it's so hard to leave. So hard. And then if you don't have that drive, you know, then you you have this lens over everything Mm -hmm. that could absolutely be negative. Mm -hmm. Well, good for her for sticking it out for so long. Mm -hmm. Jeez. All right, so now you, between... Being a kid and growing up versus now being an adult, what was your version of the American dream? What is your version? What do you see? Just just rant about it. <laughs> Jeez, I could rant forever. It's been crazy because this um, the last couple of years I was getting my master's degree in psych and that really just makes you face everything. I <laughs> did it also and yes, it does. <laughs> so now I feel like a completely different person compared to the rest of my life, but... My dad actually ended up wanting to really leave Colombia because um, it was the Pablo Escobar era. Mm-hmm. And Do you it want was, to give people a little background on that? Yeah, Colombia just became a nightmare because Pablo basically was able to build an army of corruption and would pay off police officers and would pay off Border Patrol and was able to just build this entire drug empire that was scary for the whole country because he would resort to killing if he didn't get his way and he would be setting bombs everywhere to put the whole country in terror and in order for everyone to kind of become submissive to him and he even tried running for office like it was just ridiculous and um authorities just kind of had no control over the situation Mm -hmm. it was he would look up you know like information about all the police officers families and he would threaten to kill them all and like just complete corruption and fear tactics exactly yeah and so everyone was like oh you're gonna pay me off like i live in a dirt hut sure pay me off i won't say a thing Mm -hmm. and everything just started snowballing and so that's how columbia got into a horrible situation and my dad who you know he tries to be a righteous man didn't want any part of it and he knew that he could do better so he left and 
we never talked about it, ever. Like, we were just an American family. Yeah, we had family living in Colombia, but he didn't really even like us calling them, talking to them. Back then, international calls was tricky. You know, you had to get a calling card. You had to pay a lot of money. Like, it was just tough, and I never even really knew my family. I think I went to Colombia once when I was one for my first birthday, and then I didn't get to go again until I was, like, nine because my grandmother was dying, and I just met my grandmother. And then... I didn't get to go back again until I was, like, 15 after I left my dad. Yeah. Just all these people living in a different part my of the whole, world. Yeah, my huge family just somewhere else. I don't know about my culture. Like, yes, my mother would cook Colombian food. And we were raised with Colombian values looking back. But, like, I didn't know that. I just thought that's how my family was. Right, th- right That's right. how it worked. Did you speak English at home? It was always rule of the house to speak Spanish, yep. which I'm so grateful for because I'm fluent and native speaker and mm-hmm. amazing. I love that. But we didn't know what was going on in Colombia. We didn't know why my dad never wanted to talk about anything. Like, we didn't know about the culture, the history, the anything that's going on. Like, we were just American. And I tried really hard growing up to be, like, to fit in. Right, yeah. because I'm being raised in a Colombian manner at home. Yeah, yeah. But here I am in American society, where kids do after school activities and get picked up and dropped off, and like parents make cookies for your games and yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. And my parents were completely uninvolved. Like, I, me and my brother had to get ourselves up in the morning. We had to get ready by ourselves. We did whatever we wanted to do, but like our parents would get mad if we asked for a ride. They would think we were being ungrateful or, like, brats or, like, something if we, like, we never got signed up for sports. So, like, when I started school, everyone kind of knows each other from, like, Little League baseball and, you know, like, I don't know anyone. And they just know that I speak Spanish, I guess, and they think that's cool. But it was hard to assimilate that because it's, like, two identities. Right, and if they're not, if your parents aren't talking about it either, it's, like, you're living in this identity, but you don't actually know what it means to be Colombian. And then because you don't have that part of you as the foundation, then how do you go connect with other people? Right. Yeah. It was hard. It was horrible. And In a time that we're already dealing with, like, hormones and, oh, and people yeah. just kids being kids, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm growing up. I'm trying to figure it out. Me and my brother are extremely, like, independent. We figure it out, and that's just what we do. Yeah. And we had each other, but, like, we were just sheltered. Just, like, that's how I can put it best, sheltered and protected. I didn't really even know much about America either. Like, we would just go to school and go home. Mm-hmm. And then we would play tennis with my dad. And that's why I played tennis. You know? I was going to ask you that. I'm like, I didn't know you played. Yeah. She was giving lessons before she came here, just in <laughs> case anyone wants to know. <laughs> you know, that's all I did. So, and then it became even harder, you know, like, now I'm a teenager, I'm, like, getting into myself, my skin, and the more I become myself, the more my dad fights my identity. Mm -hmm. He wants to stay in control. He wants us to, you know, like, so just the fights start, the divorce happens, Mm -hmm. and everything just kind of falls apart because my dad is just very rigid in his ways, I guess, and I'm a very free spirit, and I, like... Yes, you are. (laughs) Yeah, like, complete opposites, and so it got to a point where... You know, it was kind of like an emotionally abusive situation, pretty mm-hmm. bad. So I decided to not be in my dad's life anymore. Like, I couldn't do it mm-hmm. anymore. So I went, stayed with my mom, and that's when I was able to now visit Columbia when I wanted to, call my parent, my family more when I wanted to, learn more about them, mm-hmm. like, 
really immerse myself into that culture and I started learning a lot more about what was going on, what our past was like, and things started making a little more sense for sure. So they were divorced but they both still lived no, in she, Mass? Or? Well, yeah, in Mass, yeah. Okay. So when you lived with mom, I mean? Yeah. yeah. She stayed in the same city so that we could stay in the same school system. Grow up. And then mm-hmm. when did she choose to go back? Like five years ago, four years ago. Okay. So kind of like let everyone grow up and then... Yeah, because then, you know, we we grow up, we go to college. In Columbia, it's very different. You know, you live basically in the same house your entire life. You raise your kids in that same house. Your generations live in that same house. You know, it's not about fleeing the nest when you're 18. Like, that's so American. And yep. so, like, I don't know, we call it cold because you separate yourself from your family and you're yep. not with them and you don't have that support system. And then your kids end up getting raised in a daycare and, like, yeah, that kind of thing. So... When we, when me and my brother went to college, it was, like, extremely depressing for my mother. She hated being alone. She hated yeah. the winter. She couldn't handle it. So she's like, I'm going back to Columbia. And I was like, that's the best thing for you, for sure. Yeah, so that she can live her life, you can live her life, right? Everybody can find their place. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's going to be tough, too. So just trying to think of what you said before about culturally, right? Like, this control thing, it's patriarchal. Um, so that must have been tough with your dad, too, of, like, you are growing up as an American in this, because it is kind of cold. The, yeah. The way we treat parents, elderly kids, right? Especially in the East Coast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is probably another podcast topic, right? <laughs> right, so it's like you're trying to find your Perfect. identity, right, as an American, right? What that means to you and as a woman. And we are fighting that fight right now. It is so pervasive in our society, so that mu- I can And then you can imagine. throw in being gay, and that's... Another layer. It's like just, just add it. Just yeah. add it all in. Yeah. Does does he know that? Did he know that? How I wrote him a letter. It's irrelevant. I told him in a letter like all the details that he had missed about my life mm-hmm. because like I left him and he literally did not care. He like didn't bother to yeah. check in or like yeah, basically I'm useless to him because he can't control me. Yeah. And that's how it is. Narcissistic. Oh, yeah, Yeah. completely. That's what the gaslighter does. If they can't gaslight you, then, like, okay, you're no, yeah. So, see you later. And, um, I mean, I tried to mend the relationship, but whatever. He knows, I'm assuming, but I don't think he... Yeah. But good for you. Yeah. Seriously, that is so much bravery and courage to... You tried, which I feel like a lot of people don't. And then after you tried, you were like, I did this thing. And I think a lot of people are like, oh, I feel bad. It's not about feeling bad. It's taking care of yourself. Totally. So good for you I for getting out of that first. situation. Yeah. You have to, especially in America in 2019. You mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to put yourself yep. first. Yep, yep, Um. All right. So you said you went and did, you did your undergrad in psych. Mm-hmm. And then did you do more schooling? I got, well, it was, it was psych and early childhood. Yep. I got into the early intervention world, which I absolutely adore. I love, it's my favorite thing. Do you want to give people, I know because I'm an educator, but do you want to explain what early intervention is for all of the other people yes, that of, don't teach? Of course. <laughs> it is an amazing program, um, basically funded by the Department of Public Health, but we go out, people of different disciplines so like for example I was a developmental specialist which means I kind of have a general understanding of early childhood development and how they learn and how they play and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and then we also work with physical therapists occupational therapists speech therapists feeding specialists social workers the whole shebang team of people that any child would need in a specific situation where 
they have a disability or a diagnosis mm-hmm. or delayed learning or if they live with risk factors, you know, DCF involved, mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it's only from zero to three years old. Um, they have to qualify. We evaluate them. And then if they are eligible, we go out. We do home visits, usually weekly. We work together with all these specialists to try to get these kids on board. And um, I loved working in Lynn because there was such a large Spanish-speaking population that I felt like I could really make a difference. You could help. Help these yeah. people. And I love the North Shore. And it was just like an awesome fit for a job. And I was able to, you know, do my own thing in my own way, helping, the, like, using my understanding of, like, Latino culture to help mm-hmm. these people really get on board with early intervention. Because it's scary to have all these people showing up at your home. You have these immigrants who are terrified for their life as it is. Right. And then they're having all these white professionals coming in. Who don't Telling know. them what to do. Yeah. Telling them how to raise their kids. They're thinking their kids are going to be taken away any moment. That's it's, like colonizer trauma. When it's like, I know there are so many good white people that aren't trying to be the white savior. But in that situation, how does it not look like that? Right. Right. So I just felt it was it was really fulfilling. I love kids so much. Like they're my favorite thing, especially babies. And ever since I was little, like that's just how I've always been. And so it was amazing, but unfortunately it doesn't pay the bills. And unfortunately it's been turning more toward paperwork and liability shit and stuff that doesn't matter when it comes to helping a child learn yeah breach and I just found myself growing increasingly frustrated with the whole agency and even different agencies I interviewed at different different spots and there's only so many agencies in the North Shore area that I exhausted where I could go and it was heartbreaking because I loved doing what I was doing working with who I was working and I uh, recently left early intervention but I still find ways to get into these kids lives and try to make a difference and try to bring some comfort and peace and love and because that's our future you know that yeah. those are our kids and they don't just des- they don't deserve the bad stuff no and I support you 100% because a lot of people I've been going back and forth about leaving education it's the same thing the system is so broken and it used to be the amount of time I spent with kids filled my heart, but because you're pulled in so many different directions, you burn out. And people look at you, well, how could you leave those kids? How are you going to leave that career? Because I have to value my mental health mm-hmm. and absolutely sanity. So I feel you. I feel you so hard on that. Um, I don't know how we fix that right now. It's but the saddest thing ever. And just the thing you mentioned about kids, you know, every adult seems to have an opinion but every adult forgets how do we change the world it's through our kids and if we're not giving the money and the support and the resources to be able to do that I mean you know everything just gets taken away and they're like you can do more with less no 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 <laughs> like for a million and one reasons yeah um what are you thinking about for the future do you want to stay working with kids is that like a loaded I, question? I no, don't know. We yeah. didn't talk about that at all, but I think that's my thing. Like that's my calling. Like I understand them. I see them. I know how they work. I'm good at building trust with them. And I like I said, like I think they're so important and they deserve all the love and that's where my endless fountain of energy and just work ethic comes from. Like it's for the kids. Mm-hmm. Also, I mean, I love the arts 
anything fashion, music, that kind of thing is also a huge passion of mine, but I think when it comes to kind of finding a life purpose and fulfillment, it's with the kiddos. So right now yeah. I'm a nanny. Oh, yay. And so you get to do it every day, I or almost, to, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I get to create this perfect little child, at least in my eyes. Yeah. And it's awesome. I mean, I just, I've recently stepped into just being and being the change. You yeah. know, like simplifying my life. We all just have to kind of be the good person we want to see, and that's all we have to do. Like, I don't want to totally force things on people and like make them be whatever like just lead by example and just like set out and you know even though I'm a professional nanny and it's I have my master's degree in sport and performance psychology like I still think I use everything that I learned in my everyday life oh absolutely and even going to the park all the interactions you have with people at the park like those can be like meaningful interactions and connections and just simple things that make the world like a nicer place and you just demonstrate how a kid should act you know like teach them how to go up to a kid that doesn't look like them and play with them and right don't teach keep teaching the systematic racism right I say this to my kids all the time when we do to kill a mockingbird and you know some kids are horrified some kids are like yeah of course right and you always get the, but I don't get how this happens and I'm like all I'm going to tell you is that racism does is not innate you are not born with that. It is taught. So I agree with that 100% of be the change you want to see. There's this quote from an old movie, but it says, before you can change the world, you have to realize you yourself are a part of it. You can't stand on the outside looking in. Exactly. And I remember when the dad in that movie said that, I was like, holy shit, that's yeah. it. Like, I can stand here. And I think it's a good place for people to start. Stand on the platform and say the things. I get that. I think that's a good step one. But if you're not doing them, right? If you're nannying and you're not teaching in that moment, correcting in that moment, right? Showing like, no, we love everyone. Then nothing's ever going to change. Exactly. You can think it. You can feel it. You can say it. Um, but until we start doing that, stepping in for people that can't speak for themselves. Modeling, yeah. I mean, we have to model what we want to see and just have good values and good intentions and just always lead with love. Like, that's all, that's all that's you got to do. That's it. Um, speaking of modeling, so, okay, uh, did you just pick up and go to Mexico? What? <laughs> Please tell me what happened. Yes. Um, yeah, just tell the story, because guys, I don't even know the full story, but she's like, I'm leaving, I'm going to the border, if y'all could donate, that'd be cool, and then there's this pictures with her and these kids, so just, just talk, just tell me what is going on, because was... that is, that is the definition of modeling. Amazing, like, okay, so I'm crying at the gym, I really want to do something, <laughs> and it's driving me crazy, like, I'm ready to, like, fly down to those border camps and, mm-hmm. like, do something, so I'm out in New York City one night, I run into this girl, where we have, like, this not even romantic at all, just like a connection, like a soul connection. And it's I'm like, a soulmate, just yeah. a different type of soulmate. I'm yeah. like, wow, I really like this girl. She ends up being the most insanely inspirational, amazing person. Like, just this girl who works her ass off day in, day night, every minute, just doing a million different things that help heal people and, like, just reaching out and making differences and, like, I... I 
don't even like all everything she you does. You should just see her smiling right yeah, now. Yeah, like, you can see it. The love, the energy. She's yeah. incredible. She's just this powerhouse. She gets things so organized and done. Kind of like reminding me of you, like what we were just talking about before. Oh, but, thank you. I don't feel that way, but thank you. But she's like a ferocious <laughs> Leo, and so, anyways. Oh, we, Leo women. Yeah. Favorite. Just on a side mm-hmm. tangent, they get shit exactly, done. exactly. <laughs> so she has all this love. Her name's Galia. You're going to have to look her up. But anyways, um, we kind of follow each other on Instagram. We're fo- like, you know, we comment. You know how it starts. Yeah, the yeah. Instagram friends. Instagram friends. They're the best. Yeah, because she actually lives in San Diego. She's from New York. She was out that night. We run into each other, and she goes back to San Diego. So we have what, this long distance divine thing. timing. Right? Yeah. Divine. So um, she goes, hey, I am organizing a trip to the border. We're going to a refugee camp and an orphanage, and I need you to come. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're like, sign me up. I'm like, sign me up. It's like she, Morocco. Like, yeah. just sign me up. Put me on the list. She's like, first of all, I know how incredible of a person you are. Like, I've been following you, and you're Spanish-speaking. We need interpreters. We need a way to communicate with mm-hmm. these people. Like, you're essential. We're willing to pay for your flight. I just started a nonprofit. Like, Damn. everything. Like, totally just willing. And I'm like, absolutely. She's like, let's get some fundraising started, and let's make this happen. And I was like, done. So I started GoFundMe. Um, I'm planning a fundraising night at a couple restaurants, like, we're, we're making this happen. So, my precious friends on Instagram, even people who, like, I don't know, are donating, and, like, are... so much money. Yeah, like, I'm like, (laughs) oh my gosh, so, like, I, this is happening, so she had actually already, like, paid for the flight, like, I was gonna go out there, I was willing to, like, put my own, like, financial means into it, like, I didn't, I just wanted to go. But, like, everything starts coming in. Everyone, like, we were able to raise, I think at this point, it's over $650, like, of of cash that we can just, like, give to these people so that they have the resources that they need in order to... And that U.S. dollar is going to go so far. Oh, yeah, it, like, triples. So far. I'm pretty sure it triples. So it's, like, incredible. So I get out there. We have a tribe of 11 people healers masseuses they they um they're doing reiki right yeah Yeah. like reiki specialists musicians because music is just like everything music is the answer artists we have a professional skateboarder yoga teacher like just like this like little army of amazing people healers yeah I was like, okay, here we go. And we all meet together, and um, Galia is really close. Like, she uh, is always at the farmer's market, so she has really good relationships with all these different um, entrepreneurs and stuff like that. You know, they're they're donating food. They're donating stuff for our trip, donating anything that we will need. They're trading. We're all figuring it out. So we're like, okay, ready to go. We go to the border. I'd never been. It was really crazy. Um, How'd you get down? Did you guys fly and then drive? Yeah, so there's like a parking lot that you can park at. We like park there. We all meet. We get together. We have a meditation kind of circle. Mm -hmm. We really set an intention for the day. We walk toward the border. We get our passport stamped. Everyone goes through. We grab three taxis um, and we go to the refugee camp. And they were just coming back from church. But we get there. It's a pretty small space. You know, it's kind of covered with all these ripped up tarps. And then they have, like, separate, like, bedrooms where, like... Are these, like, makeshift places? Makeshift places. It looks like it was just, like, kind of thrown together in the middle of... Almost like, like, shantytown? Like, that type of... Yeah. Just things pieced together, makeshift roofs, makeshift walls. Okay. Yeah. Like, 
the walls are basically like sheets, you know, yeah. and dirt and cement and I think it was like an abandoned little like construction area that like the construction just didn't take off or Mm -hmm. something so like there's these random cinder blocks sticking out everywhere and like stuff like that and there's um forgetting the number over 100 people more than half are kids and they're all either just waiting for paperwork to go through, which takes, like, months and months, even years for paperwork to go through. Mm-hmm. Like, they've either come from a place where they were leave- living somewhere or, like, were just got in trouble and, like, had to leave and had to, like, escape or, yeah. like... Because I think that's what people forget about the word refugee. Yeah. They are running. They are going away from something yeah. that is traumatic, violent, whatever it may be. Yeah. These so- are not people that are just, like... I'm going to go to Paris for Christmas. I'm going to take a vacation. Exactly. Like, I think people have that in their mind. Right. Like, yeah. We as Americans can go wherever we want. The rest of the yeah. world cannot. They're literally trapped. You have to go through like endless amounts of appointments and things with the government officials, yeah. like get all these things approved. Like it, th- it takes a whole day to like go to these offices in a certain city where like you have to be approved and sometimes you won't be approved and you get denied and like, and how far away is that from where you live? And can you right. afford to stay? Exactly. Right. Right, exactly. Right, right. And that's how it is in Colombia, too. Like, my family, my 90% of my family hasn't been able to come to the U.S. I haven't ever been able to see them. I can only go there and see them because mm-hmm. they're stuck. Right. So, anyways, yeah, these people are trying. And what was the energy like there? It was honestly just, just, like, dismal. Like, the kids were surprisingly spirited mm-hmm. but I think it was because we were there but the adults you know you see them they're quiet they're not really talking their you know their faces say it all they're kind of just like waiting and waiting and waiting and sad and worried and the kids are crying all the infants are sick all the infants are they have fevers they have like just special needs that they don't have doctors they don't have health insurance they don't have any right. they don't have medicine they don't which is a huge reason why people are dying in our yeah. borders right now. Yeah. yeah. And so, and that was another thing in EI. So many people coming into the U.S. with kids born with disabilities because they know we have the medical care for these kids. Right. And that's why they're coming into the country. It's Especially not because, in Massachusetts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why they're coming. That's not because they want to, like, cheat the system and take all our money. Like, people think we're, they just want, like, a cash out, dish out, whatever, like... These, we got enough these, people, white people in this country doing that thing. I know. It's, it's like, where's the mirror? Can They're we... <laughs> coming for the kids. And so it was just heartbreaking. But the energy is just, there's a few workers. They're trying their best to kind of just get through the day. That one area is like a breakdown as needed area. So like mm-hmm. all the tables are in the corner and then all the tables come out and all the chairs come out. And then they all go back in the corner and yeah. everything's just kind of like, one big all-purpose yeah. room. Yeah. But it's, yeah. like, also, like, a mess, and there's, like, just, like, this lack of order, and it's, like, I just was constantly thinking, like, how can we make this place a little better to live in? Mm-hmm. You know, like, the quality of life is just, everything's just dirty and trash everywhere, and, like, nothing's really kind of taken care of, and it's, like... It's not even a place. It's not even a building. Right. Yeah. And it's, I'm thinking, you know, as a psych, like, a psych major, like, the psyche behind why these refugee camps are so dismal and like sad is like these people don't want to invest in this place 
they don't want to stay here. Yeah, that's a great point. They want to leave. And so, like, they're not going to put effort into making this a nice home. Like, they don't want that to be their home. They yeah, won't. Right. And you don't want to get into that mentality right. when you're there. Right. Yeah. And you don't want to get attached. You don't, you know, like, you, you see them kind of being, like, they're civil and they're friendly, but it's not like let's be friends, let's talk, what do you, what's your life like? Like, no, like, right. they're keeping to themselves, they're hoping they're not there long. Stay in your lane so yeah. you can get out of this exactly. lane. Exactly. Yeah. And so it just creates this really just not cold, but just kind of dead atmosphere where you're just, like, waiting. And it's like they're not, they're not being, a, in, they're not in the present moment, you know? It's like, how much do you value the present moment? How much do you value your quality of life in this moment? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's not there for them because they just are waiting to leave. Right. That and American dream, that hope. Yeah. That so hope like, in the meantime, everything falls apart. Nothing's taken care of. Everything's just a mess. And it just makes their life that much harder. And the kids kind of just like go along with it because like, that's kind of all they really know. Right. Except some of them do know what it's like to live in a normal house and uh, like some of them just have backtracked and they've just gotten really bad cards or I know and then I think about when you talk about like early intervention what this moment in their lives so say they come to America they start a new life what that trauma is going to do for that family for those kids for everybody that ripple effect and I think that's the thing that when you see this on the news and you have that emotional reaction, like as an educator, you know, you know what that's going to look like at 15 years old. Exactly. And that's, that's what I'm trying to get people to see. And I'm trying to talk to parents, you know, people that I thought were very close to me in my life of, can you just think about putting everything that you just said for the parents listening, think about you and your kid in what Michelle just explained to you. Like we get bullshit at Starbucks when they screw up our drink and we have to wait three more minutes for them to make up another one. Mm-hmm. And I know that may feel hyperbolic, but I watch people bitch about it all the time. You watch people at the mall bitch about things. You watch people at restaurants get mad because their food wasn't cooked right. Like, I don't know how to explain privilege in any other way. No, I know. We think, like, just And they're just entitlement. doing it to give their kids a good life. That's it. I know. That's it. I know. They just want to, like, make it and be okay and be safe and yeah it's just so yeah anyways yeah so what did you guys get to do for them yes we were able to focus um on kids and then also on the adults so we kind of wanted to spread them out because you know i'm sure the adults are exhausted of trying to keep these kids give them adult time yeah you know they don't have toys they don't have anything to do and they're kids you know so the adults were separated into like a healing room kind of we would give them stress relieving massages we would play music we would do sound baths we would do um we haven't done like acupuncture and cupping yet but like that's in the works we want to bring like more integrative stuff that's like a little more intense but we didn't have that much time this time around but the massages the music the sound baths the uh reiki just like love talking talk therapy even with like a few of the other spanish-speaking um volunteers and so they loved it they told us they were so grateful it felt so good that's what they needed they have you know they're so tight they're just so stressed they're just keeping it yeah and then like hey you know what there are people on the other side of this quote air quote wall that care we are gonna help you when you come here it may not feel like it 
And then Galia, uh, she's like the director of operations. <laughs> she and an interpreter took the director of the camp to Costco, and they got they filled two huge carriages full of all the food and necessities that they would need, daily stuff, like even toilet paper, things like that, that they just didn't have. And they were so grateful. We were able to fill two huge carts full of everything. Awesome. And then um, I was mostly with the kids. And we brought them art supplies, like markers, crayons, papers, glitter, glue, everything, musical instruments that were donated from, like, so many different people, just playing games, like, limbo, just, like, trying to lighten the mood, play some music. Mm -hmm. The pro skateboarder was, like, skateboarding for all of them. They thought he was, like, a god, like, he was so cool. And just, like, they were happy, you know, for, like, Mm -hmm. a little while, and so it was amazing. And then we had to go, and they were all sad. And How long were you guys there? For, like, four hours. Not long enough. And you didn't get to go back at all? Like, that was it? That was it. Oh, my goodness. That is so beautiful and so heartbreaking all in the same moment. I know. So that was awesome. And then uh, we were off to the orphanage. So this orphanage is about 30 minutes away from the refugee camp. And they actually had um, a little van that they could come pick us up in. So we were like, okay, great. So the the lady drove, came and got us, Mm -hmm. brought us back to the orphanage. This house is called Casa Hogar, which is like um, like my my place, like house, my place. Mm -hmm. And um, they have, I think, 28 kids there who have lost their parents, who have been taken from their parents, who their parents just haven't been able to be there for them, and so they're basically all orphans, and they're they're so sweet. They're, like, mm. literally the best kids. You can tell the energy there was much more different. You know, this is an actual house, but, you know, they still don't have the resources right. for all these kids. But at least the name, like, this is my home. This yes. is a place where we can be safe and built. Exactly. Yeah. And it's yeah. more of, like, a long-term, like, this is where you're going to live until you're 18, hopefully. Right. Or, yeah. So um, two women basically run the whole thing. Uh, they're sisters-in-laws. The house has been up for, like, I think 17 years. And the two women are even raising their own children with all those orphans. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's a bold-ass statement mm-hmm. that people, someone needs to hear that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they all live together. They're, they all take care of each other. They have a much more ordered, systematic thing, like helping them get ready. You know, they mm-hmm. have, they're kept up. Things are in order. Things are cleaner, which is nice. But at the same time, it's so sad, you know, like these kids are victims of like a lot of different things. And you can just kind of sense like the sad energy from a child who doesn't have their parents, you know, right. and you kind of even see like sometimes I would look at some of the girls and I'm like, I feel like you are your mother, you know, yeah. and they're, they've they just like embodied this kind of like parental kind of vibe vibe yeah. yeah and so like they loved us they're coming up to us they're like holding our faces they're braiding our hair are you just crying on the inside i'm like yeah (laughs) like they're so sweet and just awesome awesome kids and we were able to also bring them lots of art supplies and instruments for them to have and we were able to give them cash in order to get like school supplies whatever they needed Yeah. yeah Because right now it's summer, but, like, when school starts, they're not going to have, you know, the do books, they, the notebooks. Do they go to school there, or do they travel to school? They travel to school. Mm-hmm. They all go, like, based on age group, you know, like, elementary, middle, high. And um, 
they all just have become really close-knit. They love each other. They support each other. They're nice to each other. The women have awesome values, you know, like when the kids fight, they make them hug kind mm-hmm. of thing. And Like it's the modeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, but they're just so little and they're so cute. And then there's also, like, older kids and they're all just going through different stages of life, you know, like I can't imagine being a teenager in an orphanage and trying to figure it out yeah. or a five-year-old in an orphanage and being like, well, it's like you just talked it. about like, yeah. you know, you had your struggles, but at least you had a foundation. And then it's like, think about these kids having no foundation, right. And still going through those same things. Yeah. Yeah. But so we stayed there for like another four hours as well, help them get ready for dinner. We donate, donated like, um pork is like a big thing in latin culture so like we donated donated a bunch of pork and they were like so excited and yeah that was that we also did like a whole um healing room thing with the kids this time and they love the massages and they love the music yeah we had like some fancy instruments like the really nice chimes and the really nice like sound drums yeah 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 and they loved it they thought it was so cool and they we all just like laid down on the on the carpet and the floor with the lights down and like everyone was just able to relax and like they're all like smiling with their eyes closed it was so cute (laughs) I just love that because I know money is important Mm -hmm. and that's a big part of it but you gave these two places peace, mm-hmm. which I think is the the thing that people are forgetting. It's, I just I'm writing an article about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Absolutely. And those bottom two physical things, of yeah, it's air, it's food, it's all that. But that second, like second rung on a ladder, is security and safety. We don't realize that's a privileged thing. You don't realize if you don't have that, how you're just living in survival mode. And those exactly. kids don't know that yet, but that's what ends up manifesting later in life exactly like yes it was a short trip yes we were only there for a few hours but it's it's the moment it's that and they're gonna keep that with yeah them. like that memory and I just want them to see that people care and yeah. that there is love out there and that they are deserving of it and I just want them to smile and I just want them to have a moment of being okay and for them to hold on to that because you know it can be really easy to get into a dark place and yeah and that affects you as you grow up you know so just knowing one person that's it really like I'm sure everyone listening can think of someone who did a minor thing and but you it, that I'm sure that minor thing is stuck with you throughout your whole life and it would be such a pivotal moment yeah I even think of people walking down the street you know if you've had like a bad day you're all in your head and you have that stranger that smiles at you and I know it's like one silly moment of connection but you're like oh damn there is something so much bigger right pulls you out of it it's all about connecting and just understanding and just being kind like there is no reason for us to be selfish and block people out and being rude and racist and cold and like why why what does that do it's a great it, question. It makes, anyone, it makes you anyone a jerk. Want to it? <laughs> it makes you a jerk. Congrats. Yep. And that's it. Yeah. Like why? Yeah. So what would be your biggest takeaway from this experience? You know, if you could just sum that up into like one sentence yeah. for me. <laughs> the biggest takeaway is like you can do something if you want to. Like, and I think the biggest takeaway is love. Like, love is the answer when 2019, the clock struck midnight. I was like, what is my one word for this year? And it was love. I just wanted to be it. 
and I wanted to share it. And I think that's something we all need to do in these dark times. Because and it's free. It's, fr- it's free. It makes you feel good. It makes everyone happy. It's like you can do it, and it takes very little, but you can do it and make a huge difference. Yeah. Big impact. I want to mic drop it there, but I want to talk about a couple more things. Yeah, yeah, of um, course. So from all of the stuff that you've done um, with this group, are there any resources we can give people? Like, I usually just forward Together Rising, which is Glennon Doyle's um, organization or nonprofit for raising money. Is there any any place you can tell us to donate or just things that people can do? Because I get it. I get what it's like to sit on the other side and people may not be able to just get up and go there. Like, I get it. Like, no one's mad at you. But what else could we do? Um, so much. If you want to focus on the kids, early intervention programs are always looking for donations. If you're, Mm -hmm. even if you find like just old toys or old instruments or old art supplies or anything, just like donate, like reuse things. And you don't even have to go out and buy new stuff. Like go to places that are getting rid of things or I don't know. You just have to look, I guess. But yeah, well, well, I have some stuff written down. I'll put that all on the website. Also, um, the nonprofit we're working with is called Spirit Healers. And just typing things. Yes. <laughs> the website is spirithealersnp.org. Don't care where. We'll put that. We'll put everything on the website. We'll put everything <laughs> on Instagram um, just so people can. We're gaining some really cool momentum. Galia, the queen, is... Um, you know, looking into some bigger sponsors, people mm-hmm. who have the means to give bigger things back, um, not just, you know, volunteers in the middle class, right, right. <laughs> which is fine. But um, so yeah, if, if anybody knows, again, someone always needs to hear it. If you know someone or maybe you have a family member with a business, like someone that could donate, just reach out to us. I'll put all Michelle's information online too. Um, or if you want to be someone like, hey, I want to go to the border. Or I have a couple days. I can do this. I want to sacrifice that to, you know, for the greater good. Just let one of us know. We will hook you up with someone. But yeah, I think it is that easy. Donating things. Um, and it doesn't have to be something big. Donate one item. Donate $5. Like I always think about if everybody in this country donated $1. That's exactly what $1 I think. $1. <laughs> yeah. So like everybody pick 10 charities a year. And donated a dollar. What would that look like? Ex- what would that, that look like? That was literally the next thing I was going to say. Is It's literally a dollar at a time. If everyone would just give a dollar, like, that would be it. That's all you need. And ask. Like, we're so scared, I think, to ask and to, yeah. like, put it out there. But, like, for example, I took the little girl I nanny for to her dance class. And I know that they have a lot of instruments that we always play with every week. And I asked the teacher, I was like, is, could we even borrow like, I will bring them back, like, just mm-hmm. borrow. And she said, we over-ordered, like, 80 maracas. Do you want them? <sighs> Boom. See, that's Done. It. Yeah. Like, there it is. And yeah. that's and so, like, if you're willing to go after it, like, the universe will provide, especially if it comes out of love. That's what I've learned. Just keep mic dropping this episode. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Final remarks, because I feel like we're there. Um, so what I always ask my guests, what message do you want people to take away from this and or how can we rewrite this narrative? Like, what's what's your final <laughs> verbiage to the audience? Okay, so you either care about other people or you don't. And that's kind of what it comes down to. 
Where's the mic? Just just throw the little mic across the room. That is what it comes down to. You either care about other people or you don't. And actions speak louder than words. Like, that's it. I'm not saying shit. Oh my god, that's... <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much for coming to my house, sharing your heart, telling your story... And picking up in the middle of July and just getting on a plane and going to the frickin' border because I don't think many people would do that. I think you're going to inspire a lot of people with this episode, even if it's just to donate a dollar to do that. So thank you. Thank you (laughs) for spreading the word because people do need to hear it and we need to keep spreading all of this knowledge and get on board, people, because the universe is shifting right now. Be better. (laughs) that's it my friends be better um thank you again michelle i appreciate it thanks friends the only word i have for that is wow i don't know if you feel the way i do listening to it but when i hear people share their story with such strength and authenticity It just sets a fire in my heart, in my soul. So I hope she has inspired you as much as she has inspired me. Michelle, I am so grateful and thankful for you for trusting in me to share your story with the world. And I can't wait for you guys to hear the next couple episodes on rewriting immigration. Check out the website at www.someoneneedstohearit.com. There are a ton of resources listed there regarding immigration and all Michelle's information if you want to reach out. Until next time, take care.